video games, storytelling, and special guests. This is Script Lock, where we talk about storytelling and video games, and I'm Nick Volkman. And I am Max Volkman. Today's guests are Kim Alum and Kate Gray. Kim is the studio manager at Defiant Development, where she's worked on Hand of Fate, Hand of Fate 2, and Ski Safari Adventure Time. She's also the co-founder of Blushbox Collective, a group of game developers exploring and promoting love and sexuality in video games, and the Heartbeat Conference and Game Jam. Kate has been a games journalist, video producer, on-camera host, scriptwriter, streamer, and community manager at so many companies, ranging from GameSpot to Xbox, and she's currently the narrative director at Co-op and writes the sex games column for Kotaku. Thanks for coming on today. Wow. Welcome. I think what an so intro. sexy. Mm. It's very sexy. This podcast is mostly going to be concerned about sex games, relationships, and love in games because we have two amazing guests who are experts in those. Oh, things. I was going to say, don't call me an expert, and then you just did call me. Now I'm okay, going to have to sound expert. Oh, that's I was going to say that. <laughs> Uh, I don't like when people call me an expert in sex things and I'm like, oh dear, (laughs) that's setting me up for failure. But yeah, sure. I mean, uh, I'll be a sex expert for the day. How did you two intellectuals break into the industry? Um, Kate, go for it. With my fists. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, I first started in games. I keep saying five years ago, but I think it might be six now. I don't know. I've lost track. It was, um, I'd just come out of university. I was working in a call center. It was horrible. And then I applied for a job at Official Nintendo Magazine, which uh, doesn't exist anymore. I also worked at a call center. Oh, my God. Relevant to our interests. Yes. Not a sexy one, by the way, since we've set up that we're sex experts. It was, it was about banks, um, which is like the least sexy call center. What? Maybe? I don't know. (laughs) And uh, I applied for the job, and then I got through several rounds where I was like, wow, they're not going to hire me after that. At one point, there was a quiz about Nintendo stuff, and it was like, can you name any F-Zero characters other than Captain Falcon? And I was like, Captain Falcon's brother, Captain Eagle. And like, I drew lots of pictures, and apparently they liked that enough that they were like, she doesn't know anything, but she's funny. And so they (laughs) hired me. Um, I knew everything about Animal Crossing, so what more do you need? Did they ask um, about that? There was, like, one Animal Crossing question. They were like, what's the owl in Animal Crossing? And I was like, oh, Blathers, mate. My buddy, Blathers. Okay. Oh, yeah, Blathers, mate. <laughs> Wait, one pictures. more time, one more time. Oh, yeah, blather, Blathers, mate. Oh, oh, out of ten, what would you give him? Like what? a six. Yeah, that's not yeah. bad. Sorry, listeners, we were doing accents before we started recording this. <laughs> Kate, question. Hi. So your username on a oh, number no. of social media accounts yeah. is how not to draw. And I know that this is a common theme that pops up because you just mentioned drawing during your interview with Nintendo. Is this a thing? What's the thing? What's the what's the what's the origin story? What's the origin story there? So not a lot of people ask me that, and I'm always expecting people to find my shameful internet history because <gasps> it's not that shameful. Is it? Oh, I was going to say, is it sexy shameful? Because it's about I being wish. sexy today. I wish. Uh, well, I can make it sound sexy. I had this blog, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I just drew really dumb pictures for like three years on this blog that I made um, that ended up making like 40 pounds, Ooh. which I wasn't allowed to take out because you have to get to like 100 before you can take it out, but... Somewhere out there, it's 40 pounds that I made. 
Um, just what, a bunch of drawings. What kind of dumb drawings? Mostly puns. Uh, some better than others. Uh, I did like a, a week-long series of like movies, but they were all different. Like okay, so there was like Night of the Living Bread and uh, Raiders of the Lost Aardvark. It's not funny, but I was like seventeen. Why am I laughing then? Are you? You couldn't. Oh, I don't know. I don't think. Uh, well, it's still up somewhere. I think. I don't like pay for it or anything, but I think it's still on the internet. And if you search for me, well, you'll just get me now because I've still got that handle, mm. which is how not to draw, by the way, if anyone's wondering. I, I don't know if we mentioned that. Anyway. They are wondering. <laughs> That's my story. <laughs> also, I'd like to propose, since we are drinking wine for those who are listening wine. at home, wine. we need to do some kind of drinking game. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm. And it has to do with sex of some kind. Every time someone mentions sex, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you drink a bottle. Or just take a drink. Yeah. We'll take a drink. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it now. Preemptive, no, drinks. postemptively, because we always talked, already talked about sex like five times. Yum, 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 yum. Mm. Wine. Enjoy this content, listeners, <clears throat> of us drinking on mic. It was so fruity. What did you go to school for? Uh... <laughs> Not journalism or games. I have a degree in classics, which is uh, Latin and ancient Greek, which has not been that helpful, but I loved it very much. Did you learn anything to do with, like, sex culture? Oh, hell yeah. Like, what, can you give us a tidbit? Like, um, I was really interested in ancient women, gender, sexuality, stuff like that in the ancient world, and turns out a lot of lecturers are too. Thankfully, mostly women, because I don't want to hear my, like, 50-something dude lecturers be like, yeah, let's talk about penises. Like, that didn't really, I didn't appeal to you. Ugh. There was one about, like, um, gross. <laughs> there right, was one about, like, <laughs> does that count? Here we okay. go. We're going to be so drunk. Mm. Um, there was one guy who did, like, romance poetry, but I knew already that he was kind of weird. And apparently, probably not true, the, the guy that Gilderoy Lockhart from Harry Potter is based on. So if that gives you any indication of what he was like. (laughs) But less hot than Kenneth Branagh. I was going to say, he's pretty good looking. I know, but in the books, maybe he's not supposed to. No, everyone loves him in the books, right? Anyway. Um, (laughs) We digress. (laughs) With your major, the classics. Yeah. My worry was always, we went to school for film. Mm. So we want to go into film and then got into writing games. Yeah. We always thought that. It would have been more useful to get a major in something that wasn't film or writing related because writers should just have more experiences in life to be able to draw upon for their writing. So Sure, yeah. Mm. It also means that like if I ever get around to writing a novel, my plan is totally to just straight up steal from myth. Like no one knows most of the sort of obscure like myths. Well, yeah, exactly. He does it. I'm going to do it. And everyone loves him. <laughs> he just he just writes myths with different names and and then he's like I'm so clever and it's like Let's tear all these people down. I mean, I like a lot of his books, but I think because I know all the myths, I'm like I see you, Neil Gaiman. I know what you're doing and I'm not going to let him get away with it, although I'm going to try and do it. No, nah, it's fine. I'll be the next Neil Gaiman. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. Ah, yes. You heard it here first. Oh, no. <laughs> Experts, Neil, you, Neil. <laughs> what do you think is more useful to have a classics or something that was non-game or writing related mm. as a major? It wasn't on purpose. Uh, it was one of those things where they were like, everyone should do a degree or your life is worthless. And I was like, oh, okay. I wanted to be a writer, but I picked my degree just not randomly. I enjoyed it, but it was because I didn't have anything better to do. <laughs> 
I feel you... like we. Sorry, there. Go ahead, I, go ahead. I feel like we, especially someone in your current position, we'd like to draw from uh, industries or topics that aren't related to what we're actually doing. Like, as in, if you study journalism mm. and then became a journalist, you've got a foundation that is based on journalism, not yeah. necessarily one that's based on myth and legend. And yeah. that informs po- possibly, you can correct me if I'm wrong, your uh, writing style and your voice. I think so. I, I know a lot of, like, literary devices that I'm like, oh, I'm so clever. I just used a, like, metonymy. I don't remember what that one is. Um, <laughs> We're doing well. <laughs> Maybe a bad example. But I think the most useful thing is not knowing when I'm doing things like in quotes wrong because my friends who did journalism at university know what's like this is going to sound really bad what's not legal or whatever and <laughs> I'm just like la 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 journalism I haven't to my knowledge done anything illegal but I think that would hold me back that I'd be so worried about doing something again in quotes wrong that it would stop me from being at my most creative oh, that's such a wanky sentence I'm sorry <laughs> I would agree like, yeah we definitely have been, like, early days as writers, we writ- wrote way differently than we do now with how much we more we know about oh, writing. Yeah, I know. Which we were more open, but we were worse writers before. Yeah. But we had, did, like, we experimented more yeah. and, like, didn't care which is good and bad. Yeah, I, I, I've had a bit of that, like, being around for, like, five or six years or whatever. Ooh, a car. Um, <laughs> I've been around, I've been around a few years now and, um... Mostly in journalism, it's like dudes in comments being like, I hate when you do this. And I don't like having to deal with that. So that's made me stop doing the things they hate. Even though in my heart, I'm like, I don't care what you think. Obviously, I care enough to stop myself from doing that a second time because I can't be bothered dealing with them. And that really sucks. And that's one of the reasons I sort of started moving away from journalism because I felt that my work was getting impacted by the amount of people who hate everything on the internet. It sucks. <laughs> yeah. How'd you get into game development? Ooh, good question. Um, well, I decided I was bored of England in about 2016, which was coincidentally when the Brexit vote happened. Weird, huh? And I'd always wanted to live in Canada, so I was like, I'm going to move to Canada. And then I did, without a job or anywhere to live. And then I was like, yeah, I'll figure it out when I get there. Uh, I worked in community management for about, like, eight months, maybe less. And then my friend Salim, who is the studio director at Co-op, we were at a party in Montreal. And what party? Party. Oh, yeah. You know, that kind of party. I'm going to bleep oh, yeah. that out. <laughs> oh, no, secrets. Um, um, it was. It might have been a Star Wars party. I don't remember, really. There were quite a few back in the day. And Salim sort of leans over to me. And says, do you want to do narrative? And I'm like, you don't mean that seriously. You're drunk. I'm drunk. Everyone's drunk. It's like 12.30 on a Saturday, probably. Um, He was like, no, 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 really, really, really. And I was like, yeah, sure. And then we had an interview, sober, (laughs) I should point out. And I really liked the sound of the project. I really wanted to work in narrative. I said yes. He said yay. And the rest is history. I feel like this is a common way video games are made. Yeah. You're drunk. I'm drunk. <laughs> no, is it? We should <laughs> oh, drunk make a game. Yeah. And no, I mean more the, the networking side of things. Yeah. And, um, you know, ult- ultimately you obviously uh, respect each other's works mm. and, you, you know, when you break down the, the social construct of drinking and <laughs> you're like you're, you're 
you're feeling a bit more confident about mm. what's going on. Those walls are down. Of course, you're going to feel a bit more comfortable saying, hey, you're drunk. I'm drunk. <laughs> There's like a part of me, like deep down in my heart, that's worried that it's because I gave Nog five stars. <laughs> like out of five, not to, out of ten. The truth comes out. Um, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure it's not because that was like a 200-word review. And I was just like, Nog's good, in it? And then... <laughs> Wait, one more time for the people in the back row. Nog's good, isn't it? <laughs> that's, what I, that's how I talk um, in my professional work. Uh, I don't think it was. I think, I think they'd read my work, and I knew a few of them through Twitter. And I think I met them in Montreal, and we were friends, 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 friends. And then, yeah, uh, it worked out, hopefully. Very nice. Very Had you nice. wanted to get into game development? It was, it was my five-year plan, actually, when I moved to Montreal. I was like, I'll do whatever for money. Not whatever. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do some things for money. No, that's not better. Oh, Should we know, be drinking? I think, no. 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 I was sort of like, oh, I'll, I can do journalism freelance wherever I am, so that doesn't matter. I can do that. Montreal's a very cheap city to live in, so I was like, okay, coming from London where I had just enough money to cover rent, if I do the same amount of work in Montreal, which is like half the price, hopefully I, I can have a pretty good standard of living. Um, then I did the community management stuff for a little bit, and that was all right. I'm kind of bad at it, I think, but uh, whatever. And yeah, and then my five-year plan turned into like a less than one-year plan, which was fine by me, but a little bit fast. <laughs> good, You're that good. I'm not saying that. <laughs> so Kim, how did you get into games? I was working a very uninspiring, unstimulated job with the government. Was it the call center one? It was not. Oh. That was a debt collection agency where I would oh. receive rape and death threats Yay. of faceless people. Um, yeah. I was 16 at that time. Oh, God. Yeah, exposed early. Uh, so I was working for government. I was 19 at the time, um, studying in a human resources degree. Um, and what did you plan to use that for? I honestly thought human resources was all about, at the time, I don't know, like being around people and, you know, really being engaging, a mm. <laughs> being, being a resource <laughs> around humans yeah. and, um, I don't know, engaging like really cool programs that would benefit their professional development and mm. in turn make me feel super cool because I love status and people liking me. Yeah. <laughs> friends they're good <laughs> um, and then I quickly realized that it was at the time and with this company um, or organization just purely about hiring and firing and that's okay too because I use a lot of that in what I do as studio manager at Defiant a lot of learnings there but it got to a point where I thought I need a creative outlet of some kind um, and my partner, this is one of those stories where it's like, oh, your boyfriend got you into video games. And the answer is, yeah, what of it? Like, I'm going to wear it proudly because it's given me this journey that I've had so far, which has been a very good journey. Yeah. Um, so I was playing Bioshock at the time. Bioshock 1. Yes, Bioshock 1. And um, fell in love. Really, really enjoyed the uh, the ebbs and flows and the uh, the way it emotionally hijacked me and I thought that was really interesting because I was not a gamer mm -hmm. or considered myself one. And then after that, I thought, you know what? How do I make other people feel like this? Because again, I like to wield my own destiny and those of others. I'm an orc. I, I like to orchestrate. <laughs> I like to orchestrate in my 
normal life and in my bedroom life. And most of my drink, lovers. Drink. Oh, yeah. Drink time. <laughs> drink time. Yeah. I don't have yeah. much wine left. Uh, again, being someone who can orchestrate things, who can manufacture and fabricate things because it feels like I had an impression on someone. And I like that control and power. Um, if I'm honest. And so I Googled how do I create video games like or video game courses and I signed up to one um, at my local university at Queensland University of Technology and I got two years in before I found out that there was a job at a company called Defiant, which is where I work now. That was about six years ago. So you and I have similar, sorry, Kate and I have similar timelines in mm. terms of how long we've been in the industry because yeah. At five years at Defiant, we get a sword for years of service. What? Um, sorry, not a sword, a shield. A shield. Okay, that's very, we get a very shield. different. Wow. A shield. We get a shield uh, at five years, and at two years, we get a sword. So I've okay. got my sword. And Wait, I'm, they give you a sword first and then a shield? Correct. Yes, yes. Huh. So, um, yeah, so that informed me that I've been there for about six years now. Yeah. Um, I got the job with Defiant starting as an associate producer, and this was two years into my degree, and I hadn't finished it. Um, and I blame the project management kind of experience I had with government that beforehand that helped me get into this role. But also, I asked my boss, the incredibly amazing, super learned, very experienced Morgan Jaffet, I asked him, so why did I get the job over someone else who I knew had more experience in terms of years? And I remember him saying, well, you have enthusiasm. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, not that this person didn't, but it was obviously a, a sticking point. Like it was a, a point to make that when you have enthusiasm and someone who is eager to learn and eager to kind of uh, use the structure that's already there and then make it better, then that's the kind of, um, they're the kind of qualities that I'm now looking for yeah. in new staff. Like people who are malleable, but also... Uh, work well to current structure and are very enthusiastic and want to be there. It's really hard to find people that really, really want to be working with you. Um, And that's that's, uh, a large part of what I do now. So a couple years later, I became producer, so associate producer to producer. And then from producer, I became studio manager, which is where I focus on building policy and culture for the studio. so cool. Awesome. Yeah. And how did you start Blushbox? Uh, Blushbox was uh, a very, very fun experiment that just snowballed into this, you're going to talk about sex at South by Southwest, Kim. And I'm like, okay, but I'm going to be censored by the Texas government, I'm sure. (laughs) And yes, that did happen. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe not from the Texas government, though. Uh, It was definitely uh, an organization that said, Kim, stop saying sex. (laughs) In, in all the sweetest ways. They said, you can talk about romance and love, which is great. I love mm-hmm. romance. Kate, you love romance? Yeah, I'm just about the sex. That's yeah. okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I'm wait, being wait, difficult. Wait. Let's drink, drink again. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm out, but look. Oh, Do you want more? Spirit. Of course. What kind of question is that? <laughs> Go get some wine while we talk about boning. <laughs> oh, there's another Texas one. Texas hates boning. Mm. So as Nick pours another glass, um, I'll talk more about blush box and basically i saw something on a facebook group that said hey looking for applications for this sex love game symposium in norway oh yeah called I've lust not been to lust oh lust 
Lust. I actually I still don't know how sure to pronounce it. it. Right. Yeah, no, I'm. Yeah, I've been there and I still don't know. Lust. Lust. It's like L Y S T. L Y S T. But it's like they're saying Lust. 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 Yeah. Lust. It looks really good. It's beautiful. Yeah. So it's in Norway where the fjords meet the land and it's oh. just so pretty. Yeah. Um, there I met some of the most amazing, inspiring people and game devs like um, Brie Code. Uh, but no, that's a lie. I did not meet Brie there. Met Brie at the Australian Melbourne Games Week. So Lust, uh, I basically reached out to my uh, really good friend Katie Steggs who is of Lumi, the PR and games marketing uh, consulting company, and asked Katie, hey, should we get a team together to start making games about sex at Lust? And I reached out to Katie because her and I have very similar mindsets. We talk about our sexcapades mm-hmm. um, and we talked about and we, we are very comfortable sharing our um, sexploration oh this is terrible how isn't many it? of these do you have um, well, here we I go think, I think Nick, <laughs> Nick you mentioned sexpert earlier yeah. that's another one anyway so Katie and I really click in that kind of space and she said yes let's get a team together we got a core team of about five devs um, most uh, all from Australia uh, that all happened to be female mind you we reached out to others who mm. were not female identifying, and it just so happened to be that those who were female um, were available. So it's not that we didn't reach out, and it's not that we weren't looking for diversity or just looking for all fe- an all-female team. We just happened to be. I don't know why I'm making a point of this. <laughs> it's, it's a question that people ask, like, oh, all-female game dev team. And mm. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's cool. I'm proud of that. Yeah, I think that's fine. Yeah. And so we went over there. And we learnt from the organisers how they ran their symposium and their game jam, and we were blown away. We were blown away by the fact that people who aren't necessarily comfortable exploring sex were there for the reason of opening up and engaging in their own craft of game development in new and interesting ways. Um, it was the first time I experienced physical games being designed at game jams. In more ways than one, am I right? <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Drinking. Here we go. <laughs> mm. um, and so we took all the learnings from Lust, came back to Australia, got a pitch deck together from our learnings and started reaching out for funding to create our very own Lust, which ended up being Heartbeat, a very similar three-day symposium with workshop speakers ranging from sexual psychotherapists to adult film stars talking about how we can approach sexuality drawing from their own experiences in games and uh, it was a success Uh, it was amazing to hold that in Byron Bay very luscious very tropical felt like a resort a gamecation (laughs) and um, from there we birthed about 13 14 new sex games Mm -hmm. Uh, and they were all from about 13, 14 different teams. So Blushbox is a collective of developers who uh, work together, try and bounce off ideas, share resources, promote and hold events to do with exploring um, love and sex in games. And that's that's the story of, of Blushbox. Awesome. Kate, similarly, Hi. what made you want to start doing the Sex Games column for Kotaku? Um, I've been writing about love, romance, and sex in games for a while now. My why? very oh, why? That's a good. Oh, I don't know. Um, 
I mean, I've I've always liked that as a topic. I mean, obviously, I did it in my degree, and then even before that. Um, why? But why? <laughs> oh, God. Why did you love it as a topic? It's fun. <laughs> um, it's. I, I think it's important to push boundaries like talking about sex I think sex positivity and and just talking about it more in general is is going to be one of the things that changes society you know normalizing things like talking about sex like one of the the biggest problems of like sexism and people being treated badly is that sex is kind of like icky and you don't talk about it and it just makes it so difficult to get anything done when everyone's bad at communication and part of that is just being open, honest, and kind of icky about sex sometimes. And I, I, yeah, I just think it's very important. And on top of that, it can be funny. It can be heartwarming. Messy, it can embarrassing. Be, well, I wasn't talking about literally <laughs> sex, but oh, yes. Um, yeah, you know, it can be, everyone's drinking now. Um, it can be uh, a sort of enlightening process to sort of look into what other people think about sex. And the more sex games I play, the more I'm like, it's different for everybody. And that's really nice. It's one way to sort of find out that everybody's very different from you, but in a way that you can still connect with. Yeah. 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 Is that a good why answer yet? It was. So, oh, my God. And that's basically why you started the column, too? You just um, always interested in it? I was already writing a column for Waypoint. Uh, that was also about sex. And it was difficult because Waypoint doesn't have a comment section, which meant that I wouldn't get direct feedback until it went up on, like, Twitter or whatever. And then I would get people that were very angry at me for for various reasons. And I was still trying to find my feet. Um, And eventually Waypoint closed down the UK office, which is the one I was working through. And so I was floating around for a bit like, oh, where am I going to put all my sex thoughts and Kotaku approached me to be like, do you want to carry on with us? I'm not sure if that was exactly what happened. It might have just been serendipitous that they were looking for someone at that point. But I, I think Kotaku is a really good home for it right now because um, Gita Jackson writes about sex a lot also. And a few ex-Kotaku and current Kotaku editors and writers also cover that. So it doesn't feel like I'm alone waving this big penis flag, you know? Like, I, I've got good company. Yeah. <laughs> That's, nice. That's another common thing I've noticed with communities, like like with Blushbox or just communities you find while exploring sex or even just any community whatsoever, mm-hmm. the idea of not feeling alone, right? Yeah. I think yeah. when you feel alone in something that is brand new and exciting, you get lost or you, you feel sad. Yeah. And I feel like when you explore communities that kind of as you said normalize and humanize sex your communication kind of just skyrockets once Mm. you feel comfortable in what is considered a very vulnerable state yeah the state of sex and when you're really 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 comfortable with being a strong communicator in your sexual life it definitely from from anecdotally and from my own experiences kind of bleeds into non-sexual parts of your life yeah and that's like asking for a raise yep. or, you know, like just networking and communi- uh, communicating with any kind of situation. I have a question for you, Kate. Hi. Okay. I'm going to do that every time <laughs> someone says my name. Sorry. <laughs> Since we're talking about sex. Sex. Uh, Drinking. Oh, yep. <laughs> Since we're talking about sex. Mm. I'm actually very interested because this is something I actually ask all my Tinder dates. Uh-huh. Um, probably I didn't w- know we were there. <laughs> <laughs> I'd swipe right to you, Kate. <laughs> um, one of my, my first questions is, 
What are your sexual values? What do you value sexually? And、um, people typically respond with, "What do you mean? Like, can you give me an example?" But honestly, I like to see how they interpret it first,、mm, and、okay. then see what their responses are. So go.、Oh, God, what a what a a big question.、Um, I think in relationships generally, and out of relationships generally, communication is one of the most important things between just anyone, and obviously that goes for sex as well. Be a good communicator;、mm. it will get you so far in life. Just say what you're thinking. Like phrase it in a nice way if you can, but just say what you're thinking. Say what you don't like. You can just do that. You、mm. can just do that. Like what? I know, right? No one's gonna. Well, someone might. So I don't know. There are situations in which it's not easy to be honest and open, obviously. But if it is possible, do it. That's where you know the,、uh, consent comes into it. Like if you're communicating well, both of you, it has to be a two way thing. Then you know consent. It's like, yeah, we got that. We did that. Tick. Everyone's happy, and then just check in every now and again. But also another one. Oh, I forgot what it was.、Um, well, you mentioned communication、yeah. and consent. I think a sense of humor、mm. and not being really defensive about things.、Mm. This is a huge thing in the games industry, in journalism, in sex, in relationships. Is that everybody is ready to defend themselves, and I think that's a very noble and important thing. To be ready to go and bat for yourself or for something you believe in, but、uh, how good is humility? Sometimes I just I want to say like believe the best in people if they deserve it,、mm. and you know that's a thing sexual value wise that I think is very important. Most people aren't being malicious. Most people are thinking about themselves first, of course, because that's how the world works. That's how being the protagonist of life works, right? You're In your own first-person game, of course, you can think about yourself first. But most people aren't out to hurt people, and obviously there are so many caveats to this. But I don't think that's what I'm talking about right now, because this is this is an example. If I say something like this, there are people that are like, "Actually, here's seven examples where you're wrong," and I'm like, "But I know about those,、mm-hmm. and you have to trust me that I I know about those, and I still think that people deserve to have the best." Intentions being thought, I've messed up this sentence. You know what I mean, right? I do, I do. I think、um, it's <sighs> actually really interesting because、um, I did a stint at Blizzard for a mentorship, right?、Ooh. Not that this is related to sex in any way. It actually isn't.、Um, on a more serious note, I was there asking managers、mm. what makes a what, what's the difference between a good manager and an excellent manager because、mm-hmm. we all know, like we can we can say what. The difference, are, what the differences are between a good manager and a bad manager, but I want to know good from excellent. Yeah. And one of the things that kind of resonates with me was one of the managers who is well known,、uh, well loved, and you know,、uh, respected.、Um, he said, "Assume good intent,、mm-hmm. because when you assume good intent, you allow the people around you to explore and take risks and、um, and bask in failure in a good way rather than." Assume people are malicious, and then、mm. they react to you differently in a negative way. They don't want to be around someone that thinks that they're going that thinks poorly of them. Yeah, and I think that is a really good sexual value when you assume.、Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say like I'm p- a perfect angel. I, I get out. You sure are. Oh, let me put these wings away. <laughs> need、um, <laughs> to dust these bad boys off. <laughs> Wish I had wings.、Um, well, no one can see me. So I mean, you can see me, but you listeners can't see me. So maybe I do have wings. Imagine me with wings right now. There you go. This is me with wings.、Um, you were saying you're no angel. 
I'm no angel <laughs> other than the wings. But, you know, I, I have moments where I'll go like, oh, I've seen this person's tweets and I don't like them, right? Like, most people, even if they're not good, they're not evil. People generally, they aren't evil. They're just thinking about themselves more than they should. Mm. And they're thinking about money and power and that kind of thing. I don't think there should be a power dynamic in, in sex unless you've agreed to it. Uh, yes. Right? Yes. Consent. Consent. <laughs> Which actually draws me back to you actually noted two out of my three top sexual values. So you mentioned Ooh. communication and consent. Yes. And my third one that, to make it three C's is nice. curiosity. Mm. I like that. Like yeah. be willing to try most things once. Yes. Or thrice. In or my case. Several times. <laughs> over and over in the one yeah. night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're saying all this for partnerships, but perfectly works well for team building and like teams who value those. Yeah. Those Sexual things, values like, also apply to just everything. Yeah. Like consent is important in any situation. If someone's not drinking, don't force drinks on them, right? And being a creative person, like you're not a good writer if you're not curious about the world and how things work. Yeah, exactly. Which is why I put so much emphasis and um, like I highly value sex for that reason. People don't see how normal it is and how pervasive the benefits are mm-hmm. in everyday life. Like people always ask, "Oh, Kim, you're such like you're so overtly sexual. Like, yeah. why is that?" And I go, <laughs> "Well, how long have you got? Because I will tell you exactly why yeah. I am all about this." I, I totally agree. Like I went to an all-girls school, and I think that was a, a large part of being okay with just talking about normal human things because we would just talk about our periods. We'd sit down and be like, oh, I'm so heavy today. Touch my leg hair. And now I just have no shame about any of those things because I think shame holds you back from relating to other people about leg hair and other things. Heavy flows. Heavy flows and leg hair. That's the title of my autobiography. <laughs> It's not bad, actually. <laughs> the name of my next sex tape. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, yes. I mean, someone's going to be into that. So, I yeah, mean, go for it. If it exists, yeah. that's another thing. Mm-hmm. So, when it comes to um, what I love about uh, storytelling and and sex, so when, when those two are together, um, I feel like there, are, there aren't many boundaries you can't cross given that you have consent, right? Like you mm. mentioned that earlier, Kate. So I once did a podcast with an erotic author named Chrissy Neen, and she's she's well known in Australia for writing very, very explicit stuff and even has her own um, autobiography on her own, uh, what can I say, realizations of her sexuality growing mm. up. Um, during the podcast, she talked about how it's very interesting writing about bestiality oh, because that is a thing that she has explored. Oh. And a storytelling convention allows you uh, to explore that within the, like whether or not it's okay or isn't okay is another story, but when you are looking into the literary world, like you can explore that because it's not real. Mm. But it's a safe space to do that. And what I'm trying to say is that when you've got storytelling and sex, you, you're creating a space that you can explore these kinds of topics that you wouldn't normally explore in real life. And I found that really interesting that she brought that up because that's like exploring taboo and, and rape, yeah. for example, in a yes. consensual, you know, partnership. Yeah. So that's actually something I'm still formulating my thoughts on because mm. I – 
reviewed Lady Killer in a Bind mm. back when it came out. And initially it had that scene where it's like non-consensual rape play, basically. And it's non-consensual as the character. But as the player, you pretty much consent to it because there's there's a content warning right at the start. And it's like, do you want to do this? And by going like, yeah, I want to play the scene, it, you're essentially consenting to it. But you consent once. This is problematic mm. because sex is not like that. Yeah. Sex should, you should be able to consent and stop and start mm. throughout. But the thing is that, like, I reacted badly to it. It's it's quite a triggering scene, even if you haven't experienced that yourself. It's, I think, as anyone who's, like, been around creepy dudes, it's kind of like, oh, I really don't like the way this is going. I see where this is going, and it's something I don't particularly want to experience. And as a reviewer, I, I felt that I had to play it. I'm still not really sure if I did. I'm... I'm not sure if it's okay to explore this. It is a safe space because it is a game. And you, I suppose you can refuse to consent by closing down the game. But as a reviewer, can I? I, I don't know. Um, Tricky. Yeah. And does it take away agency from the character who is uh, canonically in the game a lesbian and the, the scene is with a guy? Um, is it taking away agency from her to, to sort of say, like, here, the game ends with this heterosexual scene that you don't consent to but then you enjoy and it left me coming away with a lot of weird not entirely unpleasant feelings but at the same time I'm glad it existed because I get I got to experience that and know where my boundaries were and ah that's nice that's a a very informed kind of experience and it's taken me a while to get to that point because at the time I was like no don't like and I I wrote that in my review and I wish that I'd gone into more detail about it because you know I still haven't entirely formulated my opinions but I think when I wrote that review and when other people wrote about it on on Twitter and social media in general um, the reaction from people that enjoyed that scene was like no we need this scene. This represents like my personal like fetishes and kinks and that's such an important note that I'll bring up later. Yeah. Go on. Uh so there was a there was a piece on Polygon kind of in reaction to that, which is once the scene got taken down, uh by Christine Love, who decided that actually, you know, to be safe it was I think just safer to to take the scene away altogether. There was this piece on Polygon that was like, it's important to have these scenes for queer narratives. Like you don't get to just take away our lived experience because you don't like it and I agree with them I agree with myself I agree with Christine I don't think the scene should be taken out personally like just because I disagree with it doesn't mean I didn't want it there I phrased that really badly in my review where I said something like I'd rather the scene wasn't there but that wasn't me saying like take it away from me but I came across that way my bad really but I, I think I'd like to play it again. I'm not sure if I can because they took it out, right? Mm. I think um, you you actually raise a really good point about sex games like Lady Killer in a Bind or yeah. that focus largely on sex are an experience, if not of most people's experience, or, sorry, a number of people's experiences. So it's hard to say, well, that's I don't like that because I am frustrated by that or yeah. I I don't agree with that, but it is someone's lived experience, yeah. right? And I think that's the beauty of what I tell devs who are interested in making love and sex games that say, what, where do I start? Yeah. And I say, well, you can't argue with your own experiences. Mm. So why don't you look through what you've done in your, um, you know, adventurous behind-the-scenes bedroom 
antics and see if you can draw any inspiration from there because you've lived that and it's hard to argue that anyone like like you experienced yourself like as a reviewer you may have not agreed with it or you know enjoyed it or found it stifling um but you came to the conclusion that you know it was someone else's experience and i think that's the beauty of any kind of um very personal whether it's sex or or like you know like that dragon cancer for example it's Mm. a very personal story and you can't argue that yeah at least from the narrative point of view but game mechanics are different though i feel i feel like if you're going to try and appeal to uh, a mass audience for whether it's social impact or um, economic or capitalist reasons like to make a game commercial because by the way as someone who has worked on you know commercially successful games like Hand of Fate you have to have that in mind like if you're making a game and you want it to be successful I feel like you have to know um, enough to make it commercially successful to some degree you need to have that biz dev knowledge and that framework to make sure that you know you've done the the back work so things like um, having a a sales strategy once your game is out for example or you know having these things in mind because sure you can have a, a brilliant amazing game that you know sells a lot of money uh, a lot of games sorry it makes a lot of money but you need to have a sustainable kind of framework that makes sure that your next project is just as successful if not spiritually successful at least but I digress (laughs) Um, back to the whole like uh, you know your lived experience uh, is not valid uh, is not invalid Hmm. Um, I think that's a really great kind of characteristic of most sex games it's someone else's experience and you can't argue that like and some of them are like deeply upsetting or uncomfortable to play like uh nina freeman's sibel for example i have I, not played that oh you should i, I mean oh, should. no i have yeah, i have, you have played you it have. i have played it sorry yes it's uh it's about an online relationship yes. that, that goes wrong and there's there's like fmv sections with nina freeman herself and some guy who i don't know it's like her desktop and she's <laughs> clicking on things yeah and then she goes to meet him like in real life and it it's awkward and horrible and upsetting and he sort of ghosts her and it feels terrible but it's supposed to feel terrible because you're playing through her lived experiences um i've also actually lived that experience like almost verbatim and i think most women of the modern dating age yeah anyone who's ever been in a chat room has been there (laughs) (laughs) good times or even just in real life i've had that happen in real life with men that i met in real life and they're still sort of like oh why are you following me i'm like i thought we would like i thought this was a thing and they're like "Eh, no and, like, that sucks. That's a horrible feeling to feel. And, you know, you play through a game and you're like, stop making me feel these things, Nina. The fact that she was able to make you feel that way oh, through yeah. her game <laughs> is phenomenal. I know. That's what, you know, that's why I got into games, to be, like, to reflect or mimic yeah. real world. Make people feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, in a good way, in a narrative like way. So yes. you can reflect. Remember when you felt bad? Feel it now. <laughs> yeah, and that's good. That's, like therapizing almost mm. like let's let's Cathartic. relive this horrible traumatic memory and let's let's look at it through a new lens let's let's recognize that we shared this experience even though we don't know each other and i think that's what games especially sex games are capable of the problem is that 
when it starts making you relive a memory you don't want to relive, how do you opt out of that? Yeah, that's that's like the next level. I think I don't think we've. Um, I think we're still like the sex industry and the games industry in general is still in its infancy. Oh yeah, and we're starting to see like a, a renaissance of really cool arty sex games or yes. just just crazy weird um, left of center games in general. Yeah, um, and we're starting to catch up with our our film and TV um, counterparts, but. What we're seeing is a, a, a string of games that are starting to question, well, what are the other perspectives? Mm, yes. And also, if those perspectives trigger me, how should I deal with this? Yeah. However, can I just say, <laughs> the yes. games, especially the indie games industry, I, th- I feel are so interested and involved in how it impacts both the industry and their audiences. Like, we care. Like, mm. we have conferences that talk about mental health mm-hmm. for both the player as in not exploiting them and ourselves as game devs. Yeah. Not that we practice what we preach, of course, but what I'm trying to say is indie devs especially are very much interested in the social impact of yeah. our games and not just making money. Yeah. And that's a very interesting thing. Like I, I had an ex, um, uh, my former partner, who was a photographer, and when I told him I was going to a conference called GX Australia talking specifically about bisexuality in games, not queerness in games, just specifically bisexuality. He's like, he said, what? That exists? And you're doing that? What? Yeah, and he's like, photography conferences never explore explicit topics or topics that are just so niche like that. Like, the games industry is obviously kind of waving the path to his eyes at least. Um, in exploring those kinds of topics. And I kind of like that. Oh, yeah, me too. Mm. Yeah. So you're talking a lot about indie games that are exploring <laughs> sex. Like, yes. But why aren't mainstream games, like bigger budget games, why do you think they aren't exploring sex more? I was just thinking about this, so I have, I have an answer ready to go. Um, nice. So in my column for Kotaku, which is about sex games, don't know if you've heard. We said um, sex a lot. I forgot to drink. Yeah, I forgot to drink the <laughs> whole time. Just drink for like five minutes. It'll be fine. <laughs> so the column I have for Kotaku, obviously... It being journalism, you get money through people reading it. We need to have people read it. And people read the AAA stuff. That's obvious, right? Mm. People want to be like, here's me and Assassin's Creed fucking my way through history. But the problem is that AAA games aren't doing sex. If they do, it's you're going from zero to relationship or zero yeah. to sex. Like, you've got sex as a win state. You've got sex where it's just it cuts to black and it goes, ooh, ah, and that's it. Or you've got sex as a kind of, like, weird, messy, like, Bioware thing, which is the best done in games, but still not anywhere near what any games are capable of right now. Or have done. Exactly. Um, And there are many reasons for that, you know, like, marketing, um, having to go through, like, ten different layers of asshole CEO-type people who are like, actually, sex doesn't sell. And it's like, wow, I have many charts that show the opposite. So I, I end up writing about AAA games to sort of fund the indie games, like not directly, Mm. but if I write about the big stuff that everyone clicks on, then I also have space to write about the little stuff that's doing the interesting things that fewer people click on. Still pretty popular, which is refreshing. But when I write about AAA games, I'm writing about sex despite what the game wants me to do. Unless I'm writing about Bioware game, which are like, here's some bones, like sex bones. Boners. Oh, oh, here we go. Here we there we go. go. Drinking. Sorry. Drink, drink, drink. I'll catch up on the drinking when I'm done. Um, I'm writing about sex despite the systems of the game. 
Uh, so I wrote, <laughs> I wrote one recently that I don't think it's gone up. That's about Clue, the board game. Oh. The board game, the video game, specifically, obviously, because it's Kotaku, where I, you can move the characters around in their little 3D representations in an isometric board grid thing. And once you've played Clue three times, you're like, yeah, I get it. So I turned it into like a romance, like a fair game where murder had happened and uh, Miss Scarlet, who's the sexy one in the, in the red dress, and uh, Mr. Green, he's Reverend Green in the British version, but Mr. Green? Yes. Who's uh, the only sort of like attractive one because like the rest are all the like, old men. Um, I don't mean to fetishize, but yeah. Reverend Green. Reverend Green. I know, that was part of the story. Because he was like, no, I can't. The church forbids me. And Miss Scott's like, look at my dress and boobs. And that was like the story for me. And, you know, like Mrs. White was walking in on them and being like, scandal. And this was all happening in my head. This is obviously not in Clue, the board game, the video game. Just to be clear. Yeah, but when you're young and you have like three games because they're really expensive, you just end up making your own stories within them. And so that's, I don't know if that counts as a AAA game, probably not. <laughs> but that's you're, what's happening in, like, Assassin's Creed 2. Like, you're about The Sims 2, which is a AAA game. Yes. Okay, I've written a lot about The Sims, and I, I'm like, I, I still have more. I have so much within me about The Sims and sex. Uh, the game does have sex of a sort. It has a woohoo, which uh, is what it's called. A what? <laughs> woo- woohoo. 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 And it's 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 not explicit, but it's pretty like I don't think children should see this. Like they sit in the bed, although you can have sex in like anywhere, in like the hot tub, the shower, whatever. And they go, "Oh, do you want to?" But in sim language, they're like, "Oh, dag dag." And uh, <laughs> then they both jump under the covers, and then there's a sort of like writhing mass of bed sheets for a while, and like sparks and hearts and flower petals coming off it. Accurate so far. Yeah, and you can you can hear them giggling and being like, "Ooh, really?" Um, They're just playing Twister underneath the sheets. I mean, the, in more ways. I think <laughs> in The Sims two and maybe one and maybe three, you could move the bed if you put sheets on, and you could see what the the character models were doing underneath, and <gasps> it was. Was messed up. It's like some Lovecraftian tangle of limbs in positions they shouldn't be allowed to go in. Just like wiggling around like snakes making friends. And <laughs> and they do the same thing in like the hot tub. But The Sims 2 specifically had cutscene sex scenes where like uh, the hot tub one was especially good because they're in this tub that's like the size of a dinner table, basically. And they're, like, losing each other and coming out from the water and being like, where did he go? Oh, he's there. And then going back into it. And, like, how bad do you have to be at sex to lose your partner <laughs> in a hot tub? I don't know. Um, but that was probably the sexiest The Sims got without mods. But then I downloaded a bunch of mods and I've seen so many Sim penises. <laughs> oh, God. Sims is, was, like... Pretty much designed for the horniest of us, like us gamers. Oh, yeah. In terms of AAA, like I just wanted to add, I feel like the demographic is is changing and and execs are finally realizing that demographic of of gamers, that is. Mm -hmm. And now we're seeing, um, I don't know what the latest stats were, but when I last checked, it was 51% female. And the argument is always, well, mobile games don't count. But I think even if you're discounting mobile games, the percentage is really high. And that's a new market anyway. Yeah, like. mobile games, like, have you seen the Apple Arcade? <laughs> so many, like, console-level games on mobile now, which Absolutely. is cool. Yeah, it's becoming more accessible thanks yeah. to mobile technology. Wow. 
<laughs> this episode sponsored by Apple. <laughs> um, but what, what I was going to say is we're, we're in a world where it's slowly changing and this is why we see more indie devs explore sex because we don't have publishers down our throat saying yeah. no, you can or can't do that. We can make our own choices and we have our own creative direction to a degree. And what we're seeing, and that's why I love the indie scene because you are seeing all these devs making all these interesting, mm. interesting projects um, that we're not seeing in triple A because of budget constraints, because um, they they are slow on the uptake because they take longer because they have bigger teams mm-hmm. to make bigger projects, um, and they're just not keeping up. There is a, there is way more agility in indie spaces than there are in AAA, and that's why we're not seeing decent content. I also think it's it's quite important to note that there was a whole bunch of sexual content in like maybe the mid-2000s, if you think of the Legacy early... Larry. <laughs> oh, I was oh. just about to say that. I was thinking of God of War, where it's oh, like... Yeah. Like every time games. you kill someone, they're naked if they're a woman, and it's like, yeah, oh, great. And like the the first Witcher game, where every time you have sex with someone, you get a like a trading card. Um, there was a lot of sexual content, and then everybody was like, we don't want that. And it seems like they've taken that to mean we don't want any sexual content. When really, what we were saying is. We don't want horrible sexist sexual better content. content. Yeah, we want consensual sexual content. We want choices and agency and, and all the important things in sex. And it seems like a lot, I, and I'm not surprised by this, a lot of marketing and even developers are sort of going, I'm not touching that. I don't want to get it wrong, so I'm just not going to touch that. But blowing heads up, I'll touch that happily. Oh, yeah, I'll touch that That's all easy. over the place. Touch, touch, touch. Sex is messy. Blowing up heads is easy. Yeah. You know what they? You know what AAA Studios should do, Kate? Mm-hmm. They should hire both of us as consultants. Hey, AAA Studios at AAA. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hire us. Please. <laughs> As consultants, we have more power that way. I have heard a lot of stories about consultants, even within AAA studios, being like, it's so hard to just push through a female main character that I can't mm. imagine what it's like to push through good sexual content. That doesn't say we shouldn't try. We should try. Mm. And then we'll get so sad. We'll get so sad. But we should try. <laughs> That's why it's not your main job, just a side job. Side gig. Mm. Correct. Side Correct. hustle. Cannot wait till it is my main job, though, just yeah. quietly. Just to go to, like, EA and be like, bonus! <laughs> what happens? Slide the money across the table. <laughs> oh, EA will? Yeah. For the bonus? Yes. Yeah. Bonus money. Yeah. yeah, get that bonus money. That bonus dollar. I'm sorry I keep saying bonus. I, I keep sipping every time you say bonus. Bonus, 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 bonus. Do um, it. <laughs> there um, is an interesting... So, parallel to games... And sex games is uh, sex tech. Mm. And um, we've got products, uh, brands, I should say, like Dame Products, who are focusing on the very first kind of hands-free partner sex toy. And it actually has wings on it. Um, uh, like a snitch? <laughs> like a dick snitch? <laughs> That's what I'm picturing. Please, Please correct me. <laughs> I'm not correcting you. This is too good. No, it's actually like a little critter. So it's like a little bug-looking thing. It's like oh oval in shape. And then it has like wishbones coming out of its top. Oh. And the idea is that it sits inside and your labia wraps over it. So it's on top of your clitoris, and then it wraps over. I don't like the hand gestures you're making. (laughs) I do. It's like wrapping a present, but it's with skin. (laughs) Cool. Skin presents for you. 
<laughs> anyway, so there are parallels with uh, sex games and sex tech, and the parallel, the main one, is our funding. Mm-hmm. So one of the biggest challenges I found as a, uh, I guess, sex tech um, developer um, slash coordinator is that most companies, if you're seeking sponsorship to hold conferences or mm-hmm. events, um, they're not interested. Yeah. Except when you go to places like South By, where it's like very edgy, cool, etc., and anyone will talk to you. But the the main problem is, um, and this kind of ties into why AAA isn't necessarily interested. Sure, they have the money, but they don't necessarily have the 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 money to support an idea, and that's problematic because we're not seeing um, cool new exhibits of things that. Which is where you find cool new things, like all, mm-hmm. you know, curations of things that people like, like reviewers will come across something really interesting at the, for example, dangerous, uh, sorry, the F- uh, Festival of Dangerous Ideas in Australia. That's where you co- see cool new things. So there are parallels with sex tech and sex games in that there is no funding, basically. And you're, you're either with sex games, an indie dev that's interested in focusing on sexuality or you're a sex tech entrepreneur who is trying to do to push both a personal and political push with why you are in the space that you're in. And I don't know if you can comment on this, Kate, mm-hmm. but I've noticed a lot of games that focus that focus on sex are usually made by women identifying people. Uh, women and queer communities are the ones making a lot of the indie sex games, and the people who are pushing for that in AAA studios are largely women and queer people. Yeah. So with that in mind, it's very interesting that people haven't snapped this up, like publishers and AAA. They think we don't exist is I the know. problem. They're like, you know what's Such safe? Problem. Guns. You know what's not safe? 52% of the world. They don't <laughs> exist, apparently. They're not going to make us money. No. Women don't have money, do they? <laughs> no. Because we don't pay them enough. Ha-ha. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> So a lot of the games we talked about today, <laughs> yeah, they're important because of how they portray sex. Yeah, what have your been favorite games or games that portrayed like just love and relationships well? I mean, it's an obvious answer, but I do really like Dragon Age for that. Dragon Age Inquisition. Everyone talks about Dragon Age. I know. So I want to talk about something else, but the problem is that no one else is doing it. Dream Daddy. Oh, if we're getting into indie games, yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> Dream Daddy is... Do you notice the difference when we get excited about indie games yeah, versus like, AAA? Oh, yeah. AAA. We're like, oh, oh. indie! Yeah. Um, Dream Daddy is, is wonderful because it's... I hate to use the word wholesome in regards to sex because wholesome is like bunnies and clouds and, and babies and puppies. And but like, that's ugh. the great thing about sex. There's so many facets, right? Yeah. Like, like, you know, there are so many, for example, categories of porn. Yeah. And that means, like, it's a reflection of the different differing tastes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there have been some pretty good, like, indie games that I'm trying to think of right now. Oh, no, this is embarrassing for me. <sighs> Pausing. Do you have any? Um, One Night Stand is a really great game. See, I nearly mentioned that earlier as, like, a super uncomfortable but really good sexy game. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it doesn't actually have sex in it is, is quite important. It's um, But it explores the, the, um, the, the context context of having a one-night stand which is so prevalent in yeah. most young people's lives yeah you Am play the I guy right? you you wake up and you're like who is this woman naked in someone else's but oh no what have i done and mm. she leaves the room and you have to like dig through her belongings to be like what have i done or you can like not do that there are like 
15 endings or something, depending on what you've done. And some of them are real, like, you you fucked up, mate. Mm. Like, at one point, you can reach over and be like, hmm, underwear, and put her underwear on. She comes back in, she's like, what are you doing? And kicks you out, still wearing the underwear and nothing else. Um, which I've never done on a one-night stand, but that seems like a pretty realistic reaction. I have. Sorry, anyway, yes, go that's, on. That's an interesting one, because it, it's a sex game that very specifically is about the relationship between these two mostly strangers that have been inside each other and the awkwardness of that the day after. It's a very human experience, I think. It's irrelevant, yeah. and that's why it's interesting because I've been there. I don't know if you have, but, you know, you feel free to tell everyone on yeah. the Internet that you yeah. have. It's interesting because I I can relate and it makes sense. I know what this person – I, I put – I, I typically know what this person's going through and it makes me not feel alone. We mentioned it earlier, like, you know, the feeling of being alone is is catastrophic at points. And so when we feel like we're not alone, we feel like we have a sense of purpose and yeah. games like this give us a sense of purpose or makes us feel like we're not alone. That's a good thing. And I also really like people being honest about embarrassing and mm. maybe shameful things because shame holds you back. Just... Tell everyone about your dirty sex capades and move on. It's okay. It's okay. Everyone's been there. Everyone's pooped themselves, probably. I don't know. Yes. Yeah. Okay, good, good. I'm yes. drinking. Yay! <laughs> I'm Everyone's drinking. pooped themselves. I'm, I'm done. Um, so one of the games that... <laughs> one uh, more. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> one of the interesting games I found that one of the Blushbox teams, uh, sorry, the Heartbeat teams made, uh, it's called Trustful. And Trustful, wow, that is such a sad drop of wine. There's not much there, but I'm going to drink it. (laughs) Um, Trustful is a point-and-click adventure game about trying to figure out if your partner is cheating on you. Oh, no. Mm. And I had a very interesting encounter when I was showing it at South by Southwest this year. A player was playing, and I just like kind of just observed from afar and would answer her questions. And they were very, very um, like not very deep questions at all. Just like who, like what's this about? What do I do? How do I play? How do I move on? Those kinds of questions. Hmm. And I just kind of let her play and just absorb it. Afterwards, she came up to me and she said, "I did not like that." Oh. And I go, oh, my goodness, I'm so sorry. Like, can you elaborate? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> this is awkward. Yeah. Um, and she goes, I don't want something to tell me whether or not my partner is cheating on me. Mm. Like, I don't want to be in that situation. And I think it – and she went on to say, I, I think it kind of um, amplifies a kind of approach to not – not an approach, sorry, it – it makes me feel um, jealous or it makes me feel like I shouldn't be jealous or that I should be looking around and it's it's enforcing negative Mm. behaviours that shouldn't exist in couples. And I said, I completely understand. I'm not Mm. here to win any conversations. These artists that um, and developers that jumped on this project, A, made it in two days, like Mm. God bless, and B, it's not about your experience and to be honest I, I honestly feel like they actually did a good job in making you react mm. and make and made you provoke provoked you in some way because now we're talking about this and I can now use this or you can now use this as a almost a therapeutic session yeah 
and um, you know, like, where's this coming from? Tell me more. You know, that kind of yeah. thing. If you have the right kind of people involved in the conversations, and yeah. who knows who can define the right kind of people, but yeah, it definitely opened up this whole. This game made someone feel uncomfortable, like with Lady Killer in a Bind that mm. you mentioned earlier, Kate. It was very interesting in that this is someone else's interpretation and, and it exists in the world, but it exists because it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think that's super important. Um, I think games are unlike any other medium. This, this argument's been made a lot, so it's not new or anything. Go on, hit us hard. You know, games are art. Um, <laughs> but unlike any other medium, games put you in the shoes of someone. Mm. And you can watch a film and be like, wow, I relate to these characters. But you don't get to be those characters like you do in games or, or love those characters or be friends with those characters. Films, you're very divorced from what's happening in the film. You're still aware that it's a thing you're watching and you're separate from it. Whereas games, you're actively making the character do something. Even if it's something the devs want you to do, like you don't have any other option, you're still doing that thing and you still feel like you have agency and decisions that you can make. I was just about to say that. Yeah. So when you're playing playing a game that's about, you know, love and romance and tough things, sometimes like One Night Stand and, and Trustful, you know, it, it's an experience, and Lady Killer in a Bind as well, it's an experience that you wouldn't have had in your own life, but it makes your worldview richer, mm. even if it is, like, the neg- negative side of things, that you can still go, well, I know this now. I know this about the people who made this game or the people who are in this game. And then you can go forward and use that as context for making decisions in the future. And... Yeah, that's great. Like, why shouldn't we be doing more of that? I'm with you. I think it, like, allows you, even as someone who may not have much experience with relationships, love or sex, like, I, I, excuse me, I see a world where really young people will will eventually get their hands on this kind of content. Mm. And um, much like how really young people get their hands on porn, um, what we're seeing here, though, is game devs really exploring deeper, interesting relationships, but will give young people or new people to uh, who are new to relationships, etc., at least an, uh, a perspective, I should yeah. say, you know, and that can give you enough sense in the world to make informed decisions of some kind yeah. rather than I'm going to go in this willy-nilly or I don't realise that or this game showed me that it's okay to ask for help, Yeah, you know, and that's that's great. That's, such, that's a world I want to live in. Like yeah. if you don't know, ask for help or if you don't know, seek um, inspiration from the mediums that help you make sense of the world, like games in this sense. You know what would be really great? It's like a directory of games. Like, today, I want to know how to deal with this. Mm. And then it's like, play this game. Like, I know there are copies of the Bible that do that, where you're like, today I'm feeling anxious, and it's like, here's a good Bible passage for you. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's really sweet. Like, the Bible's maybe less relatable being, you know, thousands of years old. Oh, we can still learn from it for yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. So why not have that with games? Like a big old games Bible. When it comes to connecting with a character and portraying relationships or love or sex, do you think there are aspects that games have still yet to touch? And are there parts of a relationship that will never be satisfyingly translated to gameplay? I mean, consent. Is a huge one. It's yeah. so hard to give non-playable characters consent and agency because they don't have that. Of course they don't have that. They're written by the same person that wrote the main character. So 
I think the the only game AAA this is that's that's managed to do that in a in a satisfying way for me is Dragon Age Inquisition, where people have set sexualities and set preferences in terms of like what you look like or who what race you are, which is like sure it's gross, but that's part of it. That like maybe some characters are like racist and that's why I don't like them, and it's it's horrible, but real to be rejected from someone by someone in a game it doesn't happen much to be to go up to someone and be like hey baby and they're like oh i love you but not in that way and you're like excuse me I, it's me the player <laughs> and that's the only like triple a version of agency i've seen everyone else says yes yeah. i think for me what games are doing well is um uh or some games are doing well is stimulating a sense of arousal so um but what they're not doing well is actually the tactile yeah. side of it so we're not seeing teledildonics being matched with meaningful gameplay i love teledildonics <laughs> i can tell what was it so the, uh, the squealer the I'm, squeal. I'm right <laughs> the, the hands-free thrust vibrator <laughs> And, um, that and lip, that tongue machine. <laughs> the yeah. squealer. Okay. Yep. <laughs> and that's something that, um, and I actually asked the question when I did a talk at GDC about, um, you know, trying to build communities that invigorate sex and love game developers. Um, I asked the question on my Facebook, um, which is only a very small data sample, um, FYI. Uh, what is a sex game? I asked that. And what the conversations that kind of spiraled out of that was, well, you know, sex games that currently exist aren't necessarily erotic. They focus on the win state. Mm-hmm. Um, they focus on not necessarily being human or real. And they also don't make some people feel sexy. Like, it's contrived. Oh, this or is such a huge problem in sex games where you're like, I'm in it, I'm in it. Oh, no, I no, don't like I'm, that. I'm out. I, t- I tap out. Yep. And then so it started the conversation. Um, it spiraled into this conversation about... Well, if there are genres, like if people don't like the whole click adventure, uh, point and click adventure, sorry, or the the interactive novel, maybe sex games, much like porn, can drive new tech slash new genres. And a genre I see in my head is a mix of teledildonics and games. And we don't have a genre for that right now. Yeah, we don't. it's basically like, you know, all the attachments you could get for the Wiimote? <laughs> but one of them's a penis. Why was yeah, that? A oh thing? my god, that's a, that, amazing. I'm pretty sure it vibrated. It's the new Labo. <laughs> oh no, oh. I don't want to put cardboard. No. I don't want to put something called a Labo anywhere near my job. <laughs> I want to point out that I, I did a lot of research into VR porn recently for a piece I wrote, and VR porn is lagging behind mm. in terms of. Like the porn industry in general, like actual videoed porn, there are some really interesting creators out there who were largely, again, women and queer people who were going, hang on, no one's catering for us. Oh, fine, we'll do it. And Erica they're, Lust. They're making really good stuff that's, you know, got all of the stuff we've been talking about, like consent and curiosity and all the good things, rather than just being like, here's a f- horny woman and she's naked. Yeah, do her in the butt. Yeah, (laughs) don't use lube going in dry. It's not about her pleasure. Yeah, it's about aesthetics. But VR porn is um, the same kind of thing, like even more catered to men. Because here's the problem with VR porn, right? Imagine, okay, you're a guy and you're wearing a VR headset and you're 
also wow, I'm earning to... so much more than my female counterparts. Wow. <laughs> Yay. So you're you're lying down on a bed, you got a big old boner. And a woman comes into the room. She's naked. She's like, hello, I will be doing the sex to you. Mm. And she walks over and she does the sex to you. And you don't move the whole time because it's VR and that makes people throw up. So the the male porn star is having to wear this stupid camera. Like, I've seen it. It's like a polystyrene head with camera eyes on it. And it looks terrible. Um, so she's looking into this fake head that's above his real head and, and riding him to climax. You know, the usual that's okay. That doesn't sound too bad, huh? Mm, no. Yeah. I mean, like, she's probably acting anyway. Yeah. But imagine now that you're a woman wearing a VR headset mm. and you're playing a female porn star. You're on a bed. You can't move. A man comes into the room and does things to you and you don't move the whole time. That sounds horrible. That sounds like I have zero agency. Right. So it's the same everything, but... As a woman, it's incredibly, like, triggering even to be lying on a bed, unable to move, as a man you don't know comes in and do, does things to you. Mm. Like, that sounds awful. I don't want to pay to see that. And that's one of the reasons why I don't think VR porn is very successful for women. Now, there are two types. There's the the active VR porn, and there's the voyeur porn, where you're basically just watching two usually women go at it while you sort of stand back and go, hmm, very nice. Mm, VR. Uh, but you still can't move. And and the, the male actor can't do anything, or the female actor. The actor, in general, can't do anything. Like, if they start wanking and your hands are, like, by your side, you're like, oh, whose hands are those? So, <laughs> like, the, the actor just has to sort of sit there and be like, hmm, sex. And that it's weird with VR porn that you can't move. Like, that's the limitation of the technology. But for some viewers, like... And I'm not saying that some men won't be horribly creeped out by this, too. It's not a pleasant experience. But, yeah, I, I just think it's really, really unpleasant as a woman to have a stranger come in and do things to you while you can't move. So... <laughs> to backtrack a bit. Okay. Yeah. Should there be win states in sex games? I think that's unavoidable for games, unfortunately. I think there is, yes, I agree. Mm. Um, I think there should be everything in sex games. Yeah. yeah. I think sex is one of the, mo- uh, the more universally, ev- I'm not here to yuck anyone's yum mm-hmm. kind of industries in the world. That's why there are over 9,000 categories on porn as to what you can find, yeah. you know. And I celebrate that yeah. because I'm into kinky shit <laughs> and I feel like I have a, a, a place in the world mm. and I feel safe and I feel like those communities support me. And that's why I think, should there be a win state? Yes, but how it is delivered mm. and how and, and the voices behind it that helped consult on it is the important part. Yeah, and a win state doesn't have to be you had sex or you got married like it is in movies, right? And it doesn't have to be a win. It can just be an end state. Uh, I think it's difficult to write endings uh, in anything. That's my main thing as a writer is like, I don't want to end anything. Let's just carry it on forever. And it's weird to kind of go into a sexual experience and be like, it's done. Go home now. Like, life isn't like that. But games are like that. And I don't really have a solution for that, unfortunately, other than like, climaxing, I guess, is technically a win state, but then that implies that not climaxing is wrong and losing and, like, mm. the, the sex shouldn't be like that. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll go back to you on that one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I think our last question 
we'll see, is how do you make a relationship engaging in games? Can, and can that be pushed too far where it f- starts to feeling artificial? And when does it start to feel artificial? If so, and what would cause it? Wow. That's a lot of questions. I keep repeating it. It's yeah. confusing. I start with the first part. What makes a relationship engaging is, is making it human, real, relatable, right? But how do you do that? Yeah, for Kim. <laughs> so I went to South by Southwest this year, and I saw Neil Ga- one of Neil Gaiman's uh, presentations. And um, one of the questions at the end of his talk was, uh, is reality stranger than fiction? And his response was, uh, I'm totally cheating here because I have it right in front of me. <laughs> His response was, reality has no obligation to convince anyone. For example, if I told you, hey, I met up with this guy in Berlin and I jumped on the back of his motorbike and we went on this crazy adventure where he threatened to rape and kill me, it seems too fantastical to make sense yeah. or, or be real, right? Everyone's waiting for a point. You're trying to yeah. make a point all the yeah. time. Yeah. Oh. Fun fact, Kate, that happened to me. I believe you. <laughs> mm-hmm. But with fiction, like, you you have to make it believable. You have to yeah. kind of dumb down the reality of what has actually happened. Mm-hmm. And in terms of narratives and, and um, building what's the word, um, believable, realistic relationships, sometimes you have to fake it. Yeah. To yeah. make it. To make <laughs> to, to make it believable. Exactly. Ooh. And so, like, I resonate with that quote from Gaiman because, mm. um, to me, you definitely manufacture relationships with games, or, or at least for me to think that a game is believable, I want to make sure that it's not too fantastical. Yeah. You know, because that doesn't, that's not believable. I mean, all. I totally relate to this because for reasons I won't go into, I'm writing some teen dialogue right now and teens are really hard to write. Reasons. Re- mystery reasons. If if I write a teen the way teens talk or the way I talked as a teen, everyone's going to be like, wow, this is so embarrassing. And I'm like, yeah, that's the point. You have to write it so that it feels awkward without actually feeling awkward. And it's incredibly hard to do. And relationships are awkward. And to sort of lean into that awkwardness, you get people going, oh, this felt really bad. And you're like, yeah, it's the start of a relationship. They all feel bad. Do you not remember that? And I hate to keep talking about Dragon Age because I feel like such a cliche, like, have you played Dragon Age? It's really good. But Dragon Age Inquisition had that sort of, like, awkward, like, it was my first freelance piece I ever wrote. The title, which I didn't pick, was um, My Boyfriend Broke My Heart When He Told Me He Was Gay, which is, like, so relatable, Um, I I think. (laughs) (laughs) That's not actually ever happened to me, but I, yeah, it's happened to me having crushes on celebrities, like, 50 times. So, uh, Biggest celebrity crush, go. At the moment, it's, like, a toss-up between Ryan Reynolds and Lee Pace. (sighs) Yeah. I approve of Lee Pace. Wait, Ryan Reynolds? Ryan Reynolds is just like, you're so cute. And Lee Pace is like, I want to jump you. Um, He's got the most beautiful eyebrows. (laughs) Oh, I love him. Anyway, yeah, so in, in Dragon Age Inquisition, there's this one character called Dorian. And apparently I didn't pick up on the signals that he was only interested in men. And I was playing a female dwarf. And so I was like, Dorian, hi, it's me again. And he's a flirty character. So he would always flirt back with me. And I was like, oh, I can't wait until I go on your personal quest and then we become lovers. And I went on his personal quest and 
his personal quest was to tell his father that he was gay. So he's like, I didn't know this, obviously. And so we go to his dad's house or a bar somewhere. And he's like, hello, Papa, I have something to tell you. And I'm like, yeah, what are we going to tell him? What's your news? And he's like, I love men. And I'm like, what do you mean? What men? Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. And I was like, hang on. Sorry. Can What? And I was expecting, like, if I was a game writer on on, uh, Dragon Age Inquisition, I would have just been like, well, you knew this from the start, right? I made it super obvious, like super obvious. You knew this from the start and just leave it at that. But what the writers did, which I am eternally grateful and impressed by, uh, is that after his personal quest, I went to Dorian and I was like, what the fuck, mate? Like, why were you flirting with me, you asshole? And that was actually dialogue that I could say. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but I could go to him and be like, hey, what? No, my heart. And he was like, I'm sorry. That's just what I'm like. I can stop if you like. And I was like, no, don't. Um, And the fact that they'd written that in was what made that relationship real for me. It was something that happened to me rather than something I played. It was a story rather than an, like a whatever experience or like mechanics or whatever, some gamey term. Yeah, and like handed straight to you on a silver platter instead. You yeah. felt it and experienced it, it firsthand. It was so personal because I got to be able to say to him what I wanted to say to him, which was what the fuck, mate. And and I felt like that could have been something that happened in real life other than the fact he was a mage and I was, I think, a dwarf with two knives. I mean, if someone gave me two knives... Then you'd be a dwarf. Um, I don't know how that works, uh, but I think... So, so are you saying it was quite, like, it was subtle enough that you did not pick up on it and that's why it made it convincing? It was not only subtle, but it was incredibly human. Like, mm. to be human is to fuck up and to fuck up is to fall in love with a man who's not interested in women at all. And the fact Been that Been there, done that, got the postcard. I know, right? Um... Yeah, the fact that that they wrote in a story where I fucked up and he fucked up was just incredible. Like, we fucked up and we ended up still friends afterwards. And that felt amazing. Like, having the space to be a total embarrassment is, is so good. And I wish more games didn't expect you to be the perfect human or dwarf or mage or whatever. I, I love that. I, I think that's amazing. Like, relationships are about fucking up all the time. Like, mm. no one has... Like, at the moment, I think relationships in games are either, like, perfect, beautiful, and then the wife dies, or <laughs> they're, uh, like, messy and upsetting and abusive. Like, there's there's not really a lot of in-between where it's a good relationship, but you're both kind of assholes. Like, that's real life. I want more of that. I want, I want assholes. Mm. <laughs> and that's, you know, that kind of links back to the idea that sex is a very, there are many encounters that that kind of link to to a sex game there are there are certain life experiences that you know something that Kate and I may not be interested in but are interesting to other people that's what's great about exploring sex and relationships in that there's a whole gamut of different interesting uh, dynamics to explore and I think that's drawing back to your question about how do you make uh, was it meaningful relationships, sorry, or engaging, engaging, engaging relationships? The way to make engaging relationships, in my opinion, and I feel like Kate can can um, be on my side on this, is that you you make human yeah. uh, from real life 
experiences, but with a bit of Hollywood smoke and mirrors. Yeah, sure. I mean, going back to what we were saying earlier, it's incredibly difficult to write realistic dialogue because you have to fake it. This sounds like the most difficult task in the world, but faking something in a way that it looks messy yeah, is what I want. I want to see. So a bit of tension, a bit of drama. Yeah. All you have to do is write something that's so good that it looks bad. <laughs> Easy <Or> peasy. <laughs> is there anything else that mainstream games are getting wrong about sex or relationships or love? Oh, my God. Do you want another hour's worth of yeah. podcast? <laughs> I can yes. try and do it short. Yes. Do you, is, was that the ask? That's the ask. Wrong? Okay. I will say this is sort of tangential, but one thing I really don't like about AAA games is their marketing. Everybody knows that Bioware makes the games where you can have sex with the cockroach man or whatever. That's Garrus for anyone wondering. He's, okay. he's the beetle cat. He's not a cockroach. Oh, it's, whatever. Everyone knows that's what Bio game, Bioware games are about. No one's playing them for the, the shooting or the magicking or whatever they've got going on. Like, it's all good, I guess. But I'm playing them for the bone time. And I want to go to Bone Town. <laughs> and bone time at Bone Town. Exactly. Yeah. It's bone o'clock. Uh but then you watch their trailers and their adverts that are on, like, TV and YouTube and whatever, and they're like, wow, it's a space game with shooting and driving and pew, 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 and you're like, hang on a second. That's a surprise for everyone. Well, it's not because it's a Bioware game. It's not a surprise. It's what I'm expecting. Like, I was watching the trailers probably at E3, and I'm like, oh, boy, it's Bioware trailer time. I want to see who I can make out with. And it didn't have any making out at all. And... I want them to make an advert or a trailer that actually caters to their actual audience. Like, I, I don't mean to, for this to sound really harsh towards anyone who's building the shooting systems at Bioware. I'm not playing them for that. I'm sure it's great. I'm just shooting so I can get to the next sex scene. No offense. So I can shoot someone. Yeah, in a different kind of way, if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that that if for uh, for the people at home, that was Kate's partner Andrew being the yep. supportive partner, like you see in YouTube videos. <laughs> oh, he's clapping right oh, yeah. now. Yep, yep. Um, that's you have satisfied your role. <laughs> uh, I want more trailers with kissing. <laughs> it's like you just think mar- like marketing. That's what mainstream games are getting wrong. Like, that's the biggest thing? Oh, it's thing? just not the only thing by any Is means. It's just thing? something that makes me angry. Okay. It's not the biggest thing. No. Just what came to mind first. What's the biggest thing? Uh, I'm sure Kim has some opinions. I think um, what's and this is something that even indie games are, are struggling to kind of em- emulate is um, a buildup of arousal, and that mm. doesn't necessarily mean like titillation from like erogenous zone stimulation. I mean like from a normal non-sexual encounter where you start to kind of focus on the script that is all about arousal in a sense of this person is turning me on how do I manifest that in a video game or a game culture or a game kind of relationship I don't I've never personally felt that with any video game characters that I've played or played with and I think that's such an important part of yeah. sex is arousal and I think even in my own relationships arousal is is a tough thing to navigate because um, sure you can have the 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 upshot of arousal which is the end state of arousal I should say which is an orgasm but 
sustaining arousal is just something that I find very, very interesting, very, very real. Like, tr- like staying turned on is what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like, um, c- because that's a very real thing that isn't explored in most games. I don't think any game explores the fact that you've you're turned on at one point, and then all of a sudden, you know what? Can we have a break? And can we go, like, get back to this at some can point? Can we order pizza? Can we order pizza? For a bit? Can we have cheese sticks and talk about bread? <laughs> Ooh. Why not cheese sticks and bread? Let's end this podcast right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to go order cheese sticks and bread. Oh, God, yeah. Um, and that's something that, like, most games don't really explore. And I think mm. that's a really important part of um, a sex-slash-relationship yeah. game is, is arousal. And going off that, the arousal of the player. Nobody mm. really cares. There are very few sex games I've played, and granted, a lot of them are aimed at straight men, which I'm not. What? <gasps> Gasp. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of sex games where I'm like, this is deeply unsexy for me. And the same with just like actual real life porn, is that if it's aimed at someone who isn't you, it's really unsexy, and it just takes you right out of it. Like, like the VR you talked about earlier. Or, or just real, like watching porn videos. I'm I'm watching them and I'm like, she looks really uncomfortable. Mm. Oh, could they not bend her over something padded? Like Yeah, like I'm I'm putting myself in her shoes. Yeah, they didn't use any lube. Oh, oh god. Man. It looks great, I guess, but yeah. you know, we all we all know that lube yeah. is king. Okay. <laughs> lube is king. <laughs> Um, but with with sex games, it's very like visual. It's very like here's a woman with boobs and they bounce. Ooh, yes, that's what you want. And there are very few games where I'm like, yeah, this is actually sexy. And then of the few games where I'm like, yeah, this is actually sexy, uh, we talked a little bit earlier about how some games take you out of it. Like they'll suddenly be like, here's a kink you're not into, and you're like, nope. And that happens a lot. Like with Lady Killer and a Bind, there were some scenes where I was like, oh my. And then suddenly they would be like, and now this kink. And I'm like, uh, that's not mine. I'm good, actually. Was that more of a, um, you didn't have enough time to absorb what just had happened? Um, it's a little bit of that sometimes. And sometimes it is just uh, the most common kink in the world, but also video games, is BDS- BDSM. And they don't really explore anything outside of that because BDSM, I think, is probably the most widely kinkified kink. Like, mm. if yeah. you're into kink, you're into BDSM generally. So most games that explore kink are exploring BDSM. But even people who are into BDSM aren't into every single aspect of it. Mm. There are different levels of it. You could be into light uh, domination but not into someone, like, making you bleed, for example, or, like, trying to strangle you or whatever. And so it very quickly goes from, like, yeah, this is my jam into, like, oh, no, this is not my jam. And once something happens that is not only unsexy but kind of, like, horrible for you, it really ruins that kind of arousal state. You're sort of – you're watching something that you're like, yeah, 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 get it on, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it very quickly slips into something that just completely kills your lady boner. I want to also add, because I'm paradoxical in nature and everything I do, is I would also love to see a game where I completely humiliate and dominate someone, you know? And the only reason for that is because I am that person. I have lived this experience, and I would love to see how that would play out in a video game. And, like, for everyone at home and everyone here, like, there are definitely... Um, systems of consent we have different safe words Mm. um, depending on you know for example green is that's good keep going further 
orange is that's good but don't go any further and red is no stop yeah and you know and that's a really good system that works but because like I'm personally interested in this and we've always we've already talked throughout the podcast hey there are so many different facets of sex and relationships Mm. that are worth exploring in video games um dominate uh dominating and humiliating is one of them Mm. but having said that there's got to be some kind of like self-care or care kind of yeah and you don't really get that with the game so much because there's no one there to cuddle you which Mm. sucks because like there's no way around that like Mm. if you don't have anyone to cuddle you the game can't do that really um maybe a a teledildonic system that's just cuddles would be real nice like a weighted blanket that warms up yeah and it can sense when you're done and fly over to you and be like, hug. That would be really nice. Like, if my weighted blanket could pick itself up, that'd be great because it's really heavy and I actually can't lift it. So <laughs> I accidentally got the 25-pound one. It's like, that's like almost as much as me. I don't weigh 25 pounds. <laughs> but, like, if anybody, like, asks to use it, I have to, like, drag it into the other room. And uh, it'd be nice if it could fly in mm. as an aftercare thing. All the inventors of uh, things. Yeah. Take note. Uh, a sentient weighted blanket, sentient. please. My last quick question <laughs> for each of you. Okay. What is the sexiest game? Uh, that's a good question okay um can i ask for you to define sexy or kate what do you define as sexy i think like like turns you on i yeah for all the sexy games i've played like sex games they're not deeply sexy but um there are very few like a handful that have actually made me be like oh hello like most of them i'm playing them as a journalist like just very factual very like oh look it's a penis there it goes what <laughs> And that's not sexy in itself, you know. There it goes. There it goes into there, and it's it's very much like I feel like David Attenborough just sort of like watching people go at it, and I'm like, good for them, <laughs> which I'm sure is how David Attenborough feels. <laughs> um, there they go. There they go. At it again, them lions. Um, so there's not a lot of games that have actually sort of brought me into it because I'm not approaching them as like time to go sexy. I'm like. Time to do some work. Time to review. Yep, exactly. And most of them are horrible, and I make fun of them, and it's great. I say most. That's ungenerous. I've played a lot of really good games. But the the first one I wrote about, which was uh, Mirror, um, is a deeply unsexy game in many ways. But something about it really got me. And I was kind of frustrated by it, because it was the first one I wrote about for Kotaku. So I was like, got to write about this thing. And then I was like, oh, no, it's actually, it's actually sexy. Um, And it's not a game I recommend people play because it's a match three game. (laughs) And the match three game is is very unsexy. There's a woman and you play the match three game to slice her clothes off. And once you've won, I think, three or four match three games, you get a sex scene. But I don't know. There was something about that. There was like the sex scene is is, is interactive. So the woman is usually being held down by something. Is it a match three then too? Wait, what? <laughs> he says interactive. Is it yeah. actually at that point too when she's speaking? No, no, no. Uh, at that point, it is like you are a hand, like a disembodied hand, and you can just like poke at various things and different stuff happens. So if like you poke at her boobs, like I'll, I'll give the example. There's one where it's like a an Egyptian queen, like a pharaoh kind of situation. Okay. And through various mishaps, she ends up going down into the vault of her ancestors. And honestly, it's kind of gross because they're the ones holding her down. 
her actual blood relatives. And that bit's not sexy. But if you, like, if you click her boobs, they'll, like, grope her boobs. And, like, it doesn't sound very good. I'm not making it sound kind of gross and horrible. But um, I don't know. That one was, like, weirdly sexy. Yeah? Weirdly sexy. Okay. There were better levels, but I don't remember any of them. I remember that one because it's horrible because it's like, is this incest? Is this also <laughs> necrophilia? Because they're mummies. Did I mention that? They're mummies. No. Okay. You can't mention that. So they're mummies and they're her relatives. So it's like necrophilia incest, but they're all really into it. But it's really sexy necrophilia incest. That's not, honestly, that one's not so sexy. But there's other ones where it's like there's a, there's like a, um, hentai kind of level. I didn't really okay. enjoy that one because she explodes. I think. Anyway, I'm gonna link to the mirror in the show notes yeah. so people can decide for themselves. There's like a horny ghost at one point who's like, "My husband died. Can you help me out?" And you're like, "Yeah." Honestly, it sounds like this sh- this game is like even better for like accomplishing being sexy with all of this stuff going on and a right? match three game. I mean, I played it for a very long time as well because the match three game, like, it shouldn't have been good, but it, it kind of was. I'm sorry. <laughs> Kim, your answer. <laughs> the honest answer is um, I have not I have not found a game that yeah. has no. turned me on. Yeah. I have very much, I, I was racking my brain thinking, what is a smart situation that I can share with the podcast? And the answer is none. And um, in my head, what turns me on, which I know very, very well because this has been most of my life that I've spent investing in this, this being my sexual appetite and what turns me on. But um, call it a shameless plug, but in my head, I'm currently um, developing a game that it, it is a choose-your-own-adventure to some degree, but your your choices start painting a picture um, in a very kind of like minimalist, sensual way uh, paint an environment, sorry, of what your choices are in throughout the game. So there is an artist called Petite Lejeure on Instagram. And when I look at his or her, I actually don't know the identity of this person. Um, I believe they're French. When I look at this person's Instagram posts, I get turned on like crazy. Yeah? Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, because there's a mystery to them because I will show you after the podcast, but if those who want to look up um, at Petite Luxure, I don't know how to spell it, but I'm sure we'll it'll be on the, the show, show notes. notes. <laughs> um, when you look at it, um, you don't quite know what you're seeing because it's so minimalist and very, um, uh, like, uh, again, minimalist drawings, and then you realise, oh, wait, that's a gangbang that's happening mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. And to me, what really speaks... <laughs> Kate's like, yeah. yeah. Tell me more about the gangbang. Gangbang. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what I like about that is um, not only does it look good on paper, like aesthetically to me, um, the the excitement of discovering that it is what it is is mm. very exciting for me. So in my head, a very erotic game for me is not an explicit titillating, here's some tits and ass and yeah. we're going to penetrate a butt kind of thing. Um, for me, it's this like slow release of um, a revelation that is going to be multiple bodies or a body enjoying what they have in a very minimalist illustration, choose your own adventure, discovery. And that's yeah. like very like I can I can just like feel myself getting turned on by yeah. it right now. I also want to point out real quickly that I hate <laughs> when people get dismissive about Fifty Shades of Grey because is it good writing? No. Did it help a whole bunch of women come to terms with the fact that they are sexual people? 
Yes. Mm. Is it sexy? Surprisingly, yes, until there's scenes where it's deeply not, like... Because they are not consensual, for example. There is, like, a lot of problems with Mm. Fifty Shades of Grey, and I'm not denying that at all. There's one scene where he pulls out a tampon in a sexy way, and it's like, no. There's no way you can make that sexy, for me at least. Like, maybe yes, someone can. for you at least. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, fair enough. No, um, it wasn't sexy, just yeah. so clear. There's a lot of stuff in that book where I'm like, blah. But, you know, it. there's not a lot of erotica that's written by women with women in mind. And, you know, it's it's in first person, a female character. There's I can't think of anything else that does that, though I don't read a lot of sex novels. Um, so I imagine like all the sort of Mills and Boone kind of level of stuff is like first person and like I don't know just quickly I don't know yeah. if they're female written but there is a new um, tech audio app called Dispe D I S P E A and it they are focused on erotic audio novels and yeah. books and it's actually really good I listen to audiobooks on like the bus so <laughs> Dispe. Uh, uh, okay. I mean, the, the problem that I, I want to highlight is that people look at female authored, uh, usually female person, usually romance, usually kind of sexy novels. You've got Fifty Shades and Twilight and like Hunger Games maybe. And people see them as sort of like dismissible chick lit. And like, yeah, sure, maybe they're not all super well written. You get this with Harry Potter even, which isn't even about a woman. And everyone's like, yeah, but it's badly written. And you're like, okay. Write something better then, you asshole. And what is badly? <laughs> never mind, that's a whole other podcast. It's a whole I, other podcast. Like, I like to honestly think, I, I like in that situation too, like if they're not technically gifted literary wise, if that were a phrase, mm. um, I, I like to kind of compare that to, for example, there are bands out there who are not technically gifted, but they still provoke a very, yeah. like, a, a huge response. Like, yeah. they have lots of fans, and they may not be technically gifted, but they are gifted in other ways. Yeah. And I think that's what Fifty Shades of Grey does in in yeah. many regards. And just, like, fan fiction in general is, like, this huge repository of women and queer people writing about their own, like, sexual fantasies with fictional characters that already exist. And everyone sees that as kind of like, oh, it's stupid. Fan fiction is stupid. And it's like, no. Oh, it's, it's amateur or, you know. It's yeah, like, a lot of it is. Amateur doesn't necessarily mean bad anyway. Mm. Like, it's there's clearly an audience and there's clearly people making this stuff and they're making it for a reason. And I still don't think we've got to the point where people are going, oh, maybe we should make this with funding. And I think if there's anything that comes out of this podcast for me, it's that people need to believe that there's people out there that want that and they should throw money at them, like me. Hi. And me. (laughs) Yes, us. Pay us. Uh, Where can people find you both on the internet? On Twitter, I am at Aluminati. That's A-L-L-O-M-I-N-A-T-I. That's it. Okay. Uh, Pretty much everywhere, I am at How Not To Draw. Spelt like it sounds, I hope. I'm Kate Gray, if you want to search for me that way. You'll find me either way. Although, actually, speaking of Fifty Shades of Gray, there is a woman called Kate Gray who is a stunt actor in Fifty Shades, and I'm like, oh, yeah, we should hang out. I want to know. Stunts? What stunts? (laughs) Anyway, I'm not that one, but I'm the other one. (laughs) Uh, And to check out Blushbox, it's at Blushbox Collective, but Collective is spelled C-L-T-V. You can find this podcast at Scriptlockcast on Twitter. Our artwork is done by Lily Nishida at Lily Nishida. 
and our music was done by Mellow Mix. And that is it. Thank you, too, for coming on for Thanks this for wild episode. <laughs> yeah. Dildo 